G'day team, Andy here. Just dropping in at the start of the podcast today to give a trigger warning. Uh, this episode contains a detailed first-hand account of a violent kidnap with some particular details which some listeners may find disturbing. So if that's you, maybe try a different podcast from our catalogue today. That being said, the episode actually contains an incredible story, well worth a listen, and we thank Sam again for sharing. So without further adieu, let's go to the pod. We're here to listen to a story today, actually. Um, this is going to be one of the, you know, saying we want to do the book of stories. This is yep. one of the stories that we hinted at last episode of my mate Sam. Um, so one in a series. It goes for about 30 minutes, so I thought we'd make it its own episode, and it's a pretty hectic little tale. Um, you haven't heard it before, so we'll crank in and have a bit of a listen. But um, before we do that, what do you got off the wood, Andy? Uh, I've got the classic homophobic Cooper's <laughs> Green. Loves the Cooper's Green. Uh, I'm supportive of the gay community, but uh, only recently found out, thanks to Benny from Beer Farm, that this is a homophobic choice. But sorry, Benny, I do like the beer. Um, and look, I have not drunk this week. I've had, I put myself a challenge to surf every day and not drink, see how I felt, feel good. But I'm having one off the wood tonight because of, you know, the podcast is called that. Yeah, you got to do it for the people. It's not for you. It's not about you anymore. <laughs> That's right. I'm doing it for the people. <laughs> good stuff. Um, I've, what do you I'm, I'm back in Perth. So back to reality, back Shit. to the office. I'm actually feeling quite refreshed. But before I went, um, I think live on Potty, I ordered... Um, some beers from Nowhere Man Brewing, these Rhapsody XPAs. So I totally forgot about them, but when I got back to Perth, they were in the cupboard, there to go. So I got a case of them to get there. They're really Sexy good. Can. Yeah, really cool looking cans as well, but they just put out a couple of new beers as well. So uh, fresh tropical, extra pale. I'm enjoying that, and I've been trying to stay off the beers uh, myself this week. But when I say off the beers, I just put two in the fridge, and then that's it. I can't drink any yeah. more warm beers. No. Is it good to be back in Perth? Um, yeah, it actually does feel good. I actually surfed um, my howling onshore city beach uh, on Saturday and then went up to Wedge and scored some waves. We had a long weekend over here, but it's been a bit of a refreshing, like I'm ready to be back in the office and inspiring around people and stuff and on the pushy. Got yep. a new hairdo and a new wig, mate. I've gone the, gone the close I can see. Shave. I didn't say anything. <laughs> That's the close shave. I noticed, shave. but I didn't say anything. And um, yeah, good good long beard. I've kept the COVID beard though. I'm gonna rock it long time, I reckon. Yep, that's no, good. Really shows off your fruity hairline. Yeah, it's very orange. It just says that I've been surfing. But uh, no, nah, it's good good to be back in P Town. Good to be back. So, yeah, and hopefully thinking, you'll be you'll be over here. I reckon soon enough. Maybe, maybe. I was thinking at at the start of lockdown. It was quite novel to be at home all the time and I was like getting heaps of random shit done, podcasts and music and, you know, making kombucha and all sorts. But now it's it's been long enough that it's not as not as novel. Like I think you need novelty at least every sort of six weeks. So you're probably good to come back to Perth and have a bit of novelty yeah. and um, get inspired. Absolutely. Is that, 
Does that work for you? Definitely. I um I was just shy of two months actually down in Marks, which is hilarious because originally I was down there to just for two days, just to <laughs> surf the weekend and then like take two days off, do some surfing, and then yeah, that kind of blew out. But it was bloody good, actually. Bloody good. Yeah. No, it seemed like you were having a hell time. <laughs> Looks like a good place to be. Can't go too wrong. Sure was. Um, you want to listen to this yarn from my mate Sam? I don't know. Yeah. If, Can if, you give us a bit of background of what we're listening to? Yeah. So, Sam, good mate of mine. He's living in New Zealand at the moment. Um, he, he grew up in outback Queensland and then moved over to Albany with the family over in Western Australia. And he's, um, he's, he's a smart bloke. He's a big frother, loves his surfing, loves his fishing and outdoors. And you go down to Albany with him and he's like the mayor of Albany. Everyone knows him. Everywhere you go, every coffee shop, every pub, he runs into someone and they, they know him like from the nightclub or from captain of the cricket side or playing footy or something. He's just one of those blokes. In Albany, yeah, one of those towns as well. One of those towns, one of those blokes, yeah. but no, absolute legend. And um, So this story actually was, it happened in... 2010 i think he even tells us on the yarn 2012 but it was 2010 so a few years before i met him um and he was living back down there and yeah he was working over in um papua new guinea as a as a youth ambassador for sport but he'll he'll tell you that on the intro as well um and what it's about and they basically got kidnapped he and a couple of other people and yeah it's a pretty hectic yarn coming up so give it a spin Mate, when, so when I was thinking about putting this podcast together, right, and thinking of mates and stories, um, I thought of this one instantly. And it wasn't like, uh, I know it's not a funny story. I know it's not like a good time story. It's pretty hectic, but it's also like one of the realest stories getting around and pretty raw. So if you've got the opportunity to um, spin the yarn, basically, to set the scene for everyone, this is my mate Sam, and he once got kidnapped, but not like a piss take kidnapped, legit kidnapped in a foreign country. It's um pretty active. Have you got a couple of minutes to to lay us down? Tell us what happened and what happened when you when you got back to Australia, even as well. Uh yeah, yeah, I can do that. So you you're right. It is quite like it's not a funny story, and it's not. Um, Oh, and look, it's an interesting story because it's like sad, it's a real experience, but it's quite interesting because it's just like one of those things that you'd never think would happen to you. It's like super surreal, and and it's uh, it's it's you know like it, it not to ta- you know I'm a pretty you know happy go lucky sort of guy, but that sort of thing is kind of that reasonably like life changing. Um, not to be super dramatic about it, but. Essentially, just to get down to the, the details, of it, I was working over there. Um, Whereabouts? What country? I was in Papua New Guinea, sir. Um, yeah. And so I, before I went to Papua New Guinea, I was I was working as a cricket development officer in the Great Southern Region of WA in Albany, and I was just sick of it. I was drinking too much. I was going to the nightclub far too often, and I had this sort of dream that I wanted to be in the Pacific somewhere. And so I sort of applied for a couple of cricket um, positions in the Pacific. As sort of, I applied for one role as general manager of Cook Islands Cricket Association and I applied for another general manager role with Cricket Samoa. And I didn't get those basically because there's a little bit of, uh, I guess, narcissism 
um, on narcissism. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I don't know, mate. It's your story. Anyway, yeah. Um, nepotism is the word I'm looking for. There's a bit of nepotism with sort of the selection process and they were run by the ICC. So they were like, oh, do you want to go to Papua New Guinea? And I'd never thought about it. And I thought, oh, fuck it, I'll give it a crack. And so my position up there was like a, it was with Cricket Papua New Guinea, it was funded jointly by the Australian government and the ICC. So I was there for like a year. And for those that don't know, like Papua New Guinea is the, like the Wild West. Um, it was basically un, un, um, inhabited by the Western world or even undiscovered by the Western world until World War II. And they thought it was basically like an empty jungle. And they went up there and they realised that because it's like great soil and all that sort of stuff, that it was just this super populated um, sort of society. It was like you know, millions and millions of people living in the jungle. And But because it's really rugged, um, they have like all these different um, language groups and different tribes and different um, ethnic groups. And so they opened it up and it just kind of, well, all hell broke loose. Well, not all hell broke loose, but it's just, it's a very violent place because people are not long um, into the Western world and it's still very much like a, a village or tribal sort of culture. You're kind of like two and generations into, pretty much two yeah, exactly. generations into it, which yeah. is, you know, yeah. looking at your grandparents thinking uh, where they grow up without knowing civilizations or I suppose what we, you know, classify as uh, the Western world. What, what year was it that you were over there? So that was 2012. Um, yeah. And so when I first went, I lived in Port Moresby for um, two months while I sort of got settled. And Port Moresby is a really violent place. I think if you look on those sort of uh, on the rankings of most dangerous places to live in the world, it's sort of like Kabul and Baghdad and Port Moresby purely because you've got a, a big bunch of poor, desperate people that are just very happy to to um, you know, mug you and the cost of life is pretty cheap. But but when you're in Port Moresby, you're you're sort of on edge. You basically go from like compound to compound. You're never walking the street. You're never putting yourself at risk. But the other places in Papua New Guinea are generally considered quite safe because people aren't as desperate because they're still living in the village and they're not part of the Western economy. Um, so they're, they're happy because no one starves in Papua New Guinea. It's an amazing place from a food perspective, but it's when people are desperate for money and that sort of thing where they uh, start causing a little bit of trouble. So anyway, then I moved up to Medang, which is a beautiful little town on a harbour on, on the north coast. And I hadn't been surfing until that point and so I was super desperate because that was the whole reason I wanted to go to the Pacific essentially. And I found this village that you could go and stay at and on this a really good surf spot. So I used to travel up there on the weekends and stay for like two or three days, go surfing the whole time and then come back. And it was all good. It was reasonably safe. I had no issue kind of thing. And I was, you know, walking from the surf spot back to the village at night time. And one weekend um, I had one of my colleagues who was working up in one of the Highland towns. Um, he and his girlfriend, who was visiting from Australia, decided to come down to visit me because where I was was quite a, I guess a tourist town, as far as Papua New Guinea can go for a tourist town. So it 
didn't really have any hotels or anything like that, but it was quite pretty close. Um, were, the waves, were the waves good? So where I was, there was no waves because it was sort of sheltered by a, um, an island, but I could drive three hours to the north or two and a half hours to the north and I could get a really good surf spot. Um, and so that's where I'd been surfing. And so they, they came down and we sort of kicked for a night and then decided we were going to go and go to this surf surf village or this surf camp kind of thing. And so we jumped in the car and went up there. And on the way, you've got to, like, for people that have never really been to a third world country, they probably don't appreciate how bad roads are when the government isn't, um, you know, taking care of that sort of key infrastructure. And so it's not like, you know, bitumen and then holding the road. When it gets real bad in those like, high rainfall areas, it's basically there's more potholes than there is bitumen. And so we came to this area where there was a massive pothole on the way up and it caused us to sort of have to slow right down to sort of 20Ks to go down into the pothole, back up. And as we were doing that, it was sort of, you know, it's in the middle of the jungle, it was high grass or whatever on each side, about six or seven dudes with AK-47s just running up onto the middle of the road and just surround the car. And there was sort of obviously a fair bit of confusion. And to be honest, like my memories a little bit foggy now of that. Like I don't, it's not, not a key moment that I remember. I just remember there was sort of like the confusion and um, everyone not really knowing what to do and, and even those guys not really like knowing what to do. Like by no means were they master criminals. Um, Is this the sort of thing you've been warned about, like being over there? Was it? Did it cross your mind at all? Like it doesn't, you know, you go to no, Indonesia. So, yeah, so like Port Moresby, yes. Um, Medango was, and, and Lay as well, which is down, that's kind of like a, um, a quite a, a dangerous area as well. They're the sort of two biggest cities, Lay and Moresby. Um, so, yeah, like that was an issue, but not where we were. It was not supposed to be a dangerous area. It was supposed to be one of the safe areas. And a key thing about Papua New Guinea that you kind of need to understand is that they're the people on the coast, the Papuans, are very gentle, really chilled. They're not really responsible for any crime or any violence. The Highlanders, which is the most populated area, like there's a fuckload of people that live up there, they're really, and, and I think that's, you know, if you talk about culture, you're talking about population pressure, you're talking about, um, a fight for resources and always this aggressiveness. And so people from the Highlands are fucking aggressive. They're the best businessmen, but they're also responsible for basically all the crime and all the violent crime because they just, that, that it's kind of like if you can imagine 50 years ago or 70 years ago now, these two races, because it's such a, geographically rugged country, never dealt with each other. You had this one really populated area up in the Highlands where they had, you know, the first sort of agricultural systems and they for ages just fought each other. So you've got one race people 
that loves fighting and loves violence and it's an eye for an eye and they just fuck you up. This other one is coastal people that are just like chilled and really happy. So we're in a coastal area. So in theory, it, it was safe. But what had happened is these guys and the guys that kidnapped us, had kidnapped us had come down from the mountains, essentially gotten drunk on, um, you know, homebrew and, and had decided they would kidnap someone. And sometime in the last 60 years, someone gave them AK-47, some white bloke, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. When we were there, it was quite a big talking point because there was a um, ExxonMobil had a project where they were pumping gas out of the Southern Highlands and to sort of get the deal through, they were just paying the local villagers a fuckload of money and they were just paying it out without really having a clear visibility of who actually owned the land. So there's a lot of land disputes and there's always land disputes in the Highlands, like it's just a normal thing. And so there's always land disputes, a really violent bunch of people, and then all of a sudden these people are super cashed up so they can afford weapons. It was just, and everyone was kind of like, you guys are fucking idiots. Like why are you, why are you giving these people so much money because they're just buying guns with it? So at, at the time, these, this car ends up, your car ends up surrounding you, are a bit surprised. There's six dudes with AK-47s. My first thought would be thinking, all right, fuck, how much do we owe these guys? What do you got on your paying cash? Let, let's pay them off and get the fuck out of here. Yeah, it, it was, it's funny that, but it wasn't that. That conversation was never a, hey, what are you guys doing, blah, blah, blah. It was a get the fuck in the back of the car, get down, don't fucking move or I'll shoot you. And which is quite interesting because I've never thought about that angle. But and I was reasonably calm, but it was never it was never an option that was presented. All I remember is they got us in the back of the car and I was looking up and this guy had a he had the AK forty seven on my head. And I always remember because it, it I was looking at it and it's quite weird because, you know, I've grown up on farms and stuff, but it was a fully circular barrel. Like the, 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 the rifle barrel was fully enclosed in this circular jacket, which is obviously there to help keep it cool or something. And I just remember being like, that's, that's strange or that's a, you know, it's funny the, the, the things that you, you remember and, and stick out in your mind, but I just remember this AK-47 right there and looking almost up the barrel kind of. And so they put us in the back of the car and they just booted it, like, up the coast, driving north. And so that was that was pretty hectic. Um, but I always kind of felt reasonably comfortable because regardless of all the violence and all that sort of stuff, Papua New Guinea is generally really like Australians. They have a... A good relationship with Aussies, they love us, they feel like World War II. We, you know, as sort of cliche as that is, they actually um, they respect that. Like when you live there and people see you're an Australian and like you stand out, like there's not many white people that live up there, especially outside of Moresby. You know, if you walk into a bank, people are like, oh, no, no, you come to the front of the line, or if you get on a bus or something, people are like, no, you sit in the front, and you're like, no, 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 but like, no, no, we insist. But they have a really good um, respect or, you know, long-term relationship with Australians. So 
I didn't ever really feel like I was going to get hurt or killed. What about, so you with another bloke and his missus at the time, and I can imagine you being... And, and sorry, and my housemate who was a chick as well. Okay, so two girls, two guys. I can imagine you being a calm cucumber, a bit of a, you know, all right, let's think our way out of this situation, you know, analyse it pretty quickly. What was, it, what was everyone else like? Well, so when we are in the back of the car, it was kind of hard for us to talk um, just because you're, you know, you're in the back of the unit speeding through the jungle kind of thing. After about an hour, they realised that this was quite conspicuous um, because it's pretty weird, if you can imagine. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, just cut, picked um, up a few whiteys. <laughs> yeah, whiteys in the back of the ute being driven by a bunch of guys with guns. So they didn't really want to sort of telegraph it. So they pulled up into the into this siding and they, they sort of rearranged us and they put us all in the back. Um, seat, one guy in the front with a gun and the rest of the boys in the back sort of with guns but um, in a more sort of casual stance. And we, Francis, my chick housemate, she, we were both kind of pretty calm and just sort of, I don't know, you kind of go into a bit of a stupor and um you're just kind of riding it out. You're not trying to push too much, too many buttons or anything. You're just sort of, I guess, just seeing where it goes. And I guess we made quite an effort to try and start talking to the, the guys that had us to build up a bit of rapport and, and you know, whatever that's worth kind of thing. Um, just the beginning of Stockholm Syndrome, I think they call that. Yeah, well, it's funny because, like, you know, it's interesting how you deal with with proper stress in a really stressful environment because I remember finding lots of stuff really funny. And so Frances, she was really talking to these guys and I was just like, you've got fucking stuff on this in room and I found it hilarious. There was that and then always... I was trying to convince because I'd seen, I'd been up there before and I'd seen water buffalo and all of my friends and the guys in the car just wouldn't accept that there were water buffalo in Papua New Guinea because no one had seen one. And as we were on this like wild ride through the jungle, we saw two and I was just like, see, told you. Like, and they were just like, are you fucking kidding? Like at a time like this, you're trying to get like points on us. <laughs> <laughs> to, to the death, mate. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. But um, and so after that, we probably drove for another three hours to the north um, and then up into a clearing. Th- three hours? Yeah, we're in the car for a long, for a long time and so- just sort of, yeah. Is it getting dark? What time of, time of day is it? Yeah, it was probably... It was probably like middle of the afternoon at that point, I'd say, um, or early lunchtime because we sort of left in the morning, first thing in the morning. Um, and then so we've pulled into up ah, off the sort of coast road and gone up into the jungle, into this jungle clearing, and they've taken – so when we were sitting in the car, they, they took me out. And first, because I was sort of on the left-hand passenger side, and they tied me up in the jungle. And what they'd done is they'd 
they had some rope and so they tied me up sort of hands on my back, one around my knees and one around my ankles and just sort of tied me up in this clearing. And then they brought Francis out, my housemate, and she'd been tied up with rags from one of my, they'd grabbed one of my bags and tied my, my shirt up. Um, and then they brought Josh out, tied him up with rope, and then they brought out and tied her up with rags as well. Um, and then they were sort of going through our shit and taking stuff. And when they were doing that, which I, and I find this really funny as well in hindsight because I knew that I had in my wallet this card, which was a sort of, if you're in trouble, call this card. It's a hotline to the Australian Embassy card. And I knew I had that card in my wallet and these guys were taking my wallet because I had cash and shit in there. And, and I sort of said, oh, can you, can you leave my wallet? Because, you know, it's a, it's a pain in the ass cancelling cards. <laughs> And they were like, yeah, yeah, sweet, here, have you what? We'll take them cash. Always worth a shot. <laughs> yeah, well, I just found it real funny that they're like, yeah, yeah, nah, I know that problem as well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so then there was sort of, so there was like six or seven of us and they took us into clearing and then essentially they just left us guarded by one dude with like a little pistol with all the main guys bailed and they just sort of walked away. Um, sort of down the track, essentially. Um, and then for like a couple of hours, the guys sort of guarded us. And it's like, it's fucking brutal. Like I'm, I reckon I've got like a little bit of ADD or something. But like when you are in that position, you are, it's, it's fucking claustrophobic. So are you and tied up to anything or you just, t- yeah. just, just tied up? And just tied lying up. on the but ground? Lying on the ground, sitting on the ground, or trying to sit up. And, and like, you don't, you know how, you like, you see movies and shit and people get tied up and they're all good. It's like, you understand, like, when you're tied up, you look, like, it's it's hard out. Like, it's fucking painful. Like, I, I had, I lost all, you lose all feeling in your hands because, you like, the circulation is just gone. Because they tie you up tight, obviously. Um, it's, it's not like Home Alone at all. No. No, like I, I had like nerves. I still have like very little feeling in my skin of my hands because I had like essentially nerve damage to those nerves or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so we were sort of sitting there and like, you know, I had my back up against a tree and I was trying to fucking, you know, subtly rub the rope on the tree to like Gilligan arms my way out of there or whatever it is. But like end up just taking a fuckload of skin off my hands. Um, and at that time, she was like hysterical, um, and was just like in complete shock, like she was just hysterical essentially. Um, just sobbing, couldn't stop crying. Everyone else was pretty calm. Uh, and then after a while, the guy kind of just bailed. I think he went to the toilet or something. He obviously didn't announce it to us. Um, and he just kind of walked off and when he walked off, I sort of rolled over to, um, my housemate and like chewed through her rags because that, you know, that was like a t-shirt and it was probably, it was doable. 
And once she got her hands free, she untied me. And then we untied the other two and we just sort of legged it into the bush. And this was kind of like just on dark kind of thing. Or, yeah, it was just getting dark essentially. And we sort of knew because we knew the guys that had taken us were Highlanders. So we knew that if we got to the coast and to a coast village, we'd be reasonably safe. And so if you can imagine, you know, we didn't really know where we were, but we knew that if we went north, we'd hit the coast eventually. And so we sort of wrapped in this. We didn't want to go anywhere near the road that we'd just come in on, so we sort of did this wide loop swinging north and sort of just hooked it through the jungle um, for a couple of hours. But it was interesting because when – what was that, sorry? How is everyone at this point? Like I can imagine the – all right, this is our break, you've got it, you know, like was everyone like on point, like fuck, all right, we've got to stick together, we're all on the same team here, we're getting out of here, like it was exciting, it was like, oh, we're, this is going to be the bit where we die. Like, um, well, I was pretty euphoric, I was like, fuck yeah, that was a close call and I said it, I said it to Josh at the time, I was like, fuck, how have we gotten out of this, all good and he was like, what are you talking about and I was like, what are you talking about, he's like, it was raped. And I was just like, holy fuck. And so what had happened is that when we had been taken out of the car, they had left with the car and she had been raped at knife point. And so that's why she was just so in shock, essentially. Um, and so that sort of was like pretty deflating, but at the same time everyone was kind of like, well, we've got to get out of here because you know, you're powerless otherwise. At least at least you have, you're in control of you kind of on the run if you're just sort of sitting there waiting. You don't you don't know. And that was like a key thing for me to really get out of it because I didn't know what could happen. Like, you know, those guys were drinking and they could have come back and decided they wanted to kill us or wanted to rape both the chicks in front of us or all that sort of stuff. And there'd sort of been a bit of... Um, when we stopped and they took us out of the back of the car and put us onto the back seat, they sort of threw my surfboards away into the jungle and there was one guy who was pretty drunk and he tried to drag by the hand Francis into the bushes and so, like, man, Josh was still sort of in the car and sort of at gunpoint. This guy tried to drag Francis away and it was like this feeling of like absolute helplessness where you're like, holy fuck, I'm about to see something horrific. Do I do something? Can I possibly do something? And, and reality is like you can be a hero, but at the same time it's, you, know, you don't have to fucking be Einstein to work out that if there's a dude next to you with a gun on you, you're not going to really be able to do fuck all. Like... You know, I've seen Under Siege with Steve Zagal and I don't know how fucking true that is. But, um, and so there was always that, like, that sort of set a bit of a tone for me in the back of my mind that there was this massive risk of something like that happening. And I thought we dodged it, but we obviously didn't. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think everyone was on the same boat of let's get the fuck out of here, even though, like, you're right. It's not a simple decision, is that? Because people are like, well, if we get caught now, they're definitely going to kill us. So you're battling through the jungle, like it's pretty dense. Is it easy to walk through? What's the sort of setup here? And you kind of avoid a road going 
going effectively yeah. north, which is nowhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, um, it was pretty hard work, but it kind of like, you know, you go through like massive big, you know, grass and really thick undergrowth and then sometimes it opens up into something where, you know, where the undergrowth sort of being shaded out and that sort of stuff. But it was, we were probably going for a couple of hours in the jungle and then we kind of eventually broke out of it and came to this sort of little bay and walked in. I remember the bay because we, it was just like, because it's obviously probably getting as warm as anything. And, uh, we just all, almost all collapsed into the water and sort of just cleaned off the fucking wet in the jungle and just, you know, calmed down a little bit. And then once we sort of regained ourselves, we went and like sussed out a village very sheepishly as well. Like we sort of knew that we'd be safe there, but you just don't know. So we kind of sussed it out to sort of see who was around and make sure the people that had taken us weren't around. Because that was quite a, we're still quite worried about that, um, that we weren't just going to run into them again because it's, you know, it's it's indifferent. We don't know where we are. We don't know who's around, we, whatever. So we, we sussed this little village for a little bit and realised it wasn't the same people. And luckily one of them had a phone and then called the number that I had in my um, wallet, which was the Australian Embassy, and they sent up the army essentially. And so we were waiting in this village for, I don't know, I think we got picked up at sort of like three in the morning. And and so we were just kind of uh, trying to, you know, Josh was like supporting and trying to calm her down. And we were just kind of, you know, trying to gather ourselves because it was pretty traumatic. I was smoking a fuckload of cigarettes, which is weird because I never smoked, but, you know. That thing about stress and stuff like you know, it's quite a real thing. Um, and then, yeah, about three in the morning, um, the army guys rocked up in a couple of troopies, and there was basically like 20 dudes with fucking AK 47s, which was quite traumatic again for because she was just like, holy shit, more black guys, more guns. Um, so they, this, we, this is the Papua New Guinea army, not the Aussie army, not yeah, 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 which they just talk to each other like it's you know. Big deal, and then we went back to back to um, the hospital um, to get some treatment and all that sort of stuff. And then the next day, we sort of you know everyone knew what was going on, and the Aussie government flew some people up. They flew Josh straight back to Brizzy because to treat um, post exposure prophylaxis, and then. Um, they had like a psychologist that came up and he sort of dealt with us for a couple of days and the sort of the whole theory was that, you know, you've, you've got to normalise the environment otherwise you'll never go back. And, yeah, so everyone's kind of just trying to work out. I don't know. You, you, it's like a traumatic experience. It's a big shock and you just, you're just trying to work your way through it in your mind really. I remember I was sort of holding it together quite well, but I was sad obviously. Like I was, you know, what had happened was, tough um and i went to go to the supermarket to buy some tim tams just to you know comfort food kind of thing and this old like big fat puppy union lady who was like four foot or something she saw me and she obviously knew what had happened 
and she just like came up and like gave me the biggest hug and she just like you know walked up didn't say word and just gave me this hug and I just like burst into tears uh, which is pretty funny she was yeah she was quite cute and then so then we were like okay we let's get out of here um let's go home and see our families it's you know rest and recover and I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell my family for a couple of days, actually, because I was, I didn't want them to sort of worry straight away. I sort of just kept it to myself. And then when I was, and the story had kind of broken because, see, you, you know, we're government representatives or whatever we were. And so it was, it was big news in Papua New Guinea. And then it sort of trickled down to Australia, I guess. Um, but I hadn't told my family, but then I eventually told them when I'd booked my flights back to Australia because I was like, are you guys home because I'm coming back because this is what's happened. And my brother stupidly put a thing being like, oh, proud of, proud of Sam or something like that. And this guy who I'd played a bit of cricket with wasn't really a mate but, you know, like knew him and he sort of, Oh, you know, I understand they're journalists. They're always trying to get a story, but he kind of tricked my brother in a way to be like, oh, my mate of Sam's, what happened? And so my brother gave this, like, ridiculous interview, not really knowing he was on the record, um, speaking like a bogan from Newman. And and that sort of broke that it was that it was me and WA and whatnot as I was sort of coming back, which was pretty gnarly. And then when I arrived, that story broke, but I'd, I uh, had to go straight to hospital because when I was sort of tied up in the jungle, I got an infection in my leg that got into the, into the bloodstream. So my leg was kind of like swollen to about three or four times the size. And they, so I went to hospital and then when they put, put in the drip in, they fucked it up and it tissued. So I just had my arm in a sling, I was on crutches, this story broke and everyone was just like, oh, shit, that's pretty gnarly stuff. So now you look even worse than actually walking yeah, out of the exactly, jungle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, like at the time I didn't really want to talk to anyone about it, understandably. It's, it's interesting, like, looking back on, like, from a mental state, like the effects that, you know, a traumatic experience has on you, it kind of alienates you from society in a way where you feel alienated. You feel like no one has an experience that you've just been through and yeah. can't relate. And, and and it's kind of you become quite frustrated with some things. Yeah, because like people can always say, you know, and they, people want to be sympathetic and understand maybe like that Papua New Guinean woman not knowing what to say but she just wanted to be there. But, like, yeah. when people don't don't get it, like... I think a lot of we trivialise a lot of uh, issues. You know, we think they're big issues, but when you actually have a big issue, you're like, mate, you, you don't even know. Like, you don't even get it. Yeah, well, but it's interesting. Like, I look back on it now, and I'm like, why was I so upset? Like, it's you know, not much happened to me. Like, I, um, but post traumatic stress. I'm not sure if you know much about it, but it's because you're you have a release of adrenaline for a long period of time that it changes your, the, the down of that essentially is um, post-traumatic stress. And so it ch- sort of changes the chemical in, 
imbalance in your brain because you've released adrenaline for like a really long sustained period. And but I remember on the plane back, and I, you know, like I'm not a violent guy at all, but there was this chick talking to a guy behind me, sort of like a middle-aged woman, and about how she hates her family and they should be on a reality TV show because they're all shit and all that sort of stuff. And I don't reckon I've wanted to hit someone as much as I have that woman. And because I was just, you know, I was obviously suffering from something and I was just so angry at her and how she was talking about some trivial matters in life and her family and all this sort of thing. And yeah. But it, yeah, so it was quite interesting looking back on it from that perspective. Yeah, mate. It's, um, we did say at the start, this is not really a funny story, but fuck, that's so hectic. Like to go yeah. through that. And I think a lot of, um, Generally in Australia, like I'll, I'll, you look at the overseas news and oh, X many people died in this country and, you know, this many people were kidnapped and whatever and this bus was taken hostage and all these sorts of things and, like, you really can't even comprehend it. I've done a little bit of world travel but mate, we're so ignorant of the rest of the world and then, like, to have an experience like that for you is, like, changes a lot of, uh, a lot of the way that you view that, right? Yeah, yeah, it makes you grow up quite quickly, I think. Um, and it's funny, I, like I, I don't view myself as a very serious guy, but my mum thinks that I was like before I went, I was just like a piss record and didn't take much seriously. And after that, she said, "No, you definitely changed and became more serious afterwards." Yeah, you're also mid twenties. You probably just finally figured out. Yeah, exactly. Life. That's what just, I said. Not, not just being a piss record idiot, but you know, it is yeah, pretty yeah. good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so that's that's that kind of. It was interesting about like, the media reaction as well, because that, like for me, that was I've always just viewed them very negatively since when I worked in cricket. I've kind of used the media to my advantage, kind of thing. I've had a good relationship with local reporters and state reporters, and if I was running a program that needed coverage, I'd always be you know get them involved and and give them content. Then, I've, I've seen you get a uh, cover of the West Australian newspaper, mate, just a cheeky photo down at Albany at the Gap. Yeah, and, yeah. And uh, it made top news even when we were down in Albany on a little weekender and I spotted a goanna eating a snake. Just bang, Sam Newbury, front page of the news. Just gets yeah, it done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think, like, the way they dealt with that, I was just like, fuck, like, you know, there's, it's pretty serious stuff happening to people and it's not really... You know, I've just spoken quite openly about it, but, you know, it's nearly eight years ago now, so I feel it's, it's okay. At the time, it was still quite fresh for not only me but other people involved, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, but they were just like bloodhounds. Like, I was I was crook and I had that, you know, I had my sore leg and I was on drip and all that sort of stuff at my house because the, the doctor said, oh, you, you're better off being at home to do that. So they did an outpatient and said, oh, and, you know, the media was, like, coming to the door, knocking the door, like, constantly calling. And it was just like, fuck off, guys. Like, you know, it's nothing to see here at this point in time. And so they can wait eight years for you to come on one off the wood and uh, tell the proper story, get the full... Well, it, it's funny because I, I sort of... I, I decided I was going to move to Queensland because I was sort of... It sounds a bit weird, but you, you're almost, like, infamous for it in a way in your own circle. So not not in a you know, you make parent you make mates' parents and they want to talk about it or 
whatever. So it's kind of, for a period of time, it was coming up constantly. So I moved to Queensland because I just got sick of talking about it. And then I came back about 18 months later and mum and dad were opening up a restaurant and I called a mate who was a journalist and said, oh, yeah, mum and dad are opening this up if you want to, you know, it's a small town, you know, milk content. And um, said, oh, yeah, mum and dad have opened up a restaurant, come out and have a look and do a story about that. And he did, and he talked to them about, you know, their growth plans and where they've been, you know, the reasons for the restaurant and all that sort of shit. And then at the very end of it, he was like, oh, how are you going? And uh, I was like, yeah, I'm all good. And he's like, yeah, you're still, you're sweet with all that public giving stuff. And I was like, yeah, 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 like, I'm completely over it. And, you know, moving on from my life kind of thing. And then the whole article was like, uh, you know, man previously kidnapped is happy with life, helping our parents <laughs> or something like that. And it was just like, are you guys fucking kidding me? It's like journalistic, journalistic scum, mate. Absolute scum of the yeah. earth. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mate, I appreciate um, appreciate you taking the time and um, sharing the story uh, for us. Hopefully um, some other people have got some a um, little bit more jovial stories to share I've with us. I've got some funny ones as well if you, want to do it, if you want a funny one. Mate, I, I know um, we spent a lot of time adventuring down southwest uh, WA and um, over in New Zealand and some shit, so I'm sure we've got some stories. But we'll, we'd love to have you on um, long-form one off the wood podcast with Andy at some point in the future, hopefully in person. Now uh, we've been talking about doing a North Island surf trip. Um, once this gets uh, unveiled, we're all going to have holidays. So fuck yeah, sign us up. Perfect. Yeah, come over. We'll go to Taranaki. Sick mate. Thanks very much. And cool. um, uh, as we say on uh, one off wood, hooroo. Hooroo. That was a hectic story. It was a compelling story. He had me sitting on every word and it was pretty pretty full on. So yeah. thanks, noobs, for that. He, um, um, I'll vouch for him. He definitely has some good funny stories. But I liked that um, I read a few articles on that. If you actually Google it, um, there's a couple of articles that come up in WA Today and stuff and and they just hit on the you know the raw facts of it. It's pretty to the point and his, the quotes from his brother are exactly like he was chatting to a mate on the phone. Um, but yeah, to get the, the, you know, the full long format story and understand like, man, it, what it was going through, I think you, you might see it and think that only lasts, you know, half an hour ordeal sort of thing, but like three hours in a car, an hour in the jungle, a couple of hours bush bashing in the dark. Like he really, it's a full day affair like that mentally physically exhausting yeah and this article they've put a picture of him dressed as a pirate like, yeah. there must yeah. where it's probably just off his facebook or something like classic they yeah pick the let's choose the weirdest one we can find ah uh, the media they just get better and better every year don't they yeah it sounds like it's a bit yeah, of a rot just... yeah no awesome story Thanks, noobs, for sharing it. Hopefully one day we can get noobs on for an episode because I'm sure he's got other stories that are potentially more uplifting, but that was that was good. Absolutely, yeah. Where do a... we go from there? Like, it's, I don't know. How do we <laughs> top that? <laughs> Jesus. Well, normally this podcast is very lighthearted and, you know, we, we'll have a laugh and take the piss out of anything, but I don't quite feel like doing that at the moment. But I can tell you about... 
uh, maybe a new segment. Hopefully, this segment only goes for this one episode. It's called Dick Bag of the Day. Dick Bag of the Day. That's ba- the, look. I even wrote a song for it. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, we, yeah. Well, let, let's give it a shot. Find right. out what it's all about, and if we don't like it, we won't do it again. <laughs> sounds sounds good. Yeah, uh, a bit like hard anal, you know. I have a yeah, yeah maybe. I have a bit of a f- feeling. I know what this is about. Okay, I don't know if you do. I'm assuming but- you've come across a dick bag <laughs> during your day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So dick bag of the day. Um, mm. It was Sunday this this weekend. I just. Um, I had gone to check out surf. I didn't surf. It wasn't quite there. So I thought, I'll pull into the boardroom in Scarborough. I had a surf shop I haven't been into. They've got quite a lot of boards around. It's like a good little spot. So I had a little froth in there. I checked out a few boards. was actually on the hunt for a new pair of Uggies, but they didn't have my size. It's like, oh, that's fine. And I walk out. I, bet, I reckon I was in there maybe 20 minutes maximum. I parked in the car park next to them. So for anyone that knows the board store to the east inland... Um, completely empty car park, be 30 spaces in there. There's one other car in it. I'll get back. There he is, dick bag of the day. This big, and he's better because his name was Kent as well. He had his name badge on. And he's sitting there in his little bloody Corolla with two wheel clamps sitting on my car, just waiting for me to turn up, wasn't he? Dick bag of the day. So I got done, got proper clamped in the car park and like oh, this this is what pissed me off so much about it right is that like okay I fucked up you know I parked in a, in a car park I shouldn't have I wasn't a um, you know a uh, patron of the businesses in that car park there's a pharmacy there and a gym the pharmacy's open no one's there the gym that I parked in front of right in front of the door is closed it's not even open on Sunday like so not you're like open right next gym. door. I'm on Google Maps here. I'm trying to figure out what you've done. East, yeah. So, so there's a gym right there. It's on Scarborough Beach Road. A pizza shop as well and a chemist? Yeah, pizza shop, not so why open. why would you not be allowed to park in there? Gym, not open. The chemist was open down on the other end. So many empty car parks. Anyway, like the fact... If it was during it looks- the day, if it was during... When they were open and I was taking their car parks and not being a patron of their uh, thing. So... I wasn't very happy about it at all. I, just, I don't really understand. Like, there's an Australia Post there. Surely yeah. you're allowed to park there. But they just think he thought you weren't a patron of that shopping centre. Well, he checked. So, I got a little sticker. He went and checked in the pharmacy because the only thing open was the pharmacy. So, he went in there and said, is there anyone here that owns that car? No, there isn't. So, then he clamps the car. I literally, this all happens in 20 minutes. But the whole yeah. car park's empty. And I, so I asked him, I, and he's like, literally goes, oh, yeah, it's 170 bucks," And then gives me the um, his little portable FPOS machine to pay. And I said, well, I'm not fucking just paying money. Like, show me, give me an invoice, no. write me a ticket, show me something that says 170 You don't just fucking throw this thing and say, oh, here, pay the money. Like, what the fuck? And anyway, I'm... I took a few photos. He showed me. He finally wrote. He goes, I'll write you out a receipt afterwards. I said, don't fucking write me a receipt afterwards. Write me a fine. No receipt. Something. Give me like, the ticket. Give me, give the, me fine. the fucking ticket, mate. But he's got, they got you under a bus because he's got clamps on your car. So you can't drive off. Anyway, and I'm, I took a photo of the business that's closed. So it turns out, I asked him, the he's employed by those businesses to police that car park, to clamp people's wheels in that car park. But 
all of the revenue goes to his business, to the wheel clamp business. So they're incentivized to obviously clamp as many wheels as they can. Sunday's a fucking gold mine. Their businesses are closed. The car park's completely empty. No one's using it. Like, what the fuck? I, oh. So, what did he give you, though? Did he give you a ticket? So, I got a... Um, I'd pay, and then I got a, yeah, a fine from them. You had to... You I'll, paid. I'll send you a photo of it. Yeah, well, we had clamps on my car. I couldn't get them off. There's no, like, arguing around it. What am I going to argue my way out of it on the spot? There's a... It's, I said, how do I complain illegal, about like. this? Yeah, so there's a complaints line. You've got two weeks to complain online, which I'll be doing. And I... Like, I want to write to the businesses and be like, this is a fucking piss take that you're employing this company on a Sunday when things to keep the car park He's open. basically extorting you. I don't think yeah. there's... It doesn't sound legal. It doesn't sound legal at all no. to me. Like, if he can't give you a ticket and then you can look at the ticket and decide whether to pay it. Yeah. And the only... And there was signs... There's a sign there and it does quote the amount and it explains, you know, you've parked in this and, of course, sign blindness. I didn't see the sign. I just saw... 30 empty car parks and I was like sweet I'll just duck into yeah. the board store um, so I, you know, I took photos of all these things um, and I'll I just want to I want to call those businesses and like shred them for it yeah what, what the fuck well, let's fuck them up let's, let's name and shame them now so don't go 12 round to... fitness 12 round fitness is the uh, yeah Who, who's the business paying for this fucking it's all all Guy. twelve round the chemists twelve round fitness um, and Aussie post a real estate agent a chemist yeah. a pizza shop well, a real estate agent wasn't open either and the pizza shop like <laughs> mm, I reckon this is almost enough to incite a riot so oh, good people of Scarborough let's go and petrol bomb the uh, the shopping center next to the surf boardroom don't touch the boardroom although. I have seen some of these riots in the States. People have been stealing like um, learner surfboards left, right and centre. I've seen that on a few Instagrams and they're just getting named and shamed as they should be. Yeah, I definitely saw it too. But I think we go down, we petrol bomb it, we burn it to the ground and then we loot the boardroom, get a few free sticks and um, head straight down to City Beach, get a few closeouts. What do you reckon? Well, my my thought later in the day, I was in, um, I can't remember which store it was. Oh, BCF. Me and BCF grabbing a few lures. Camping, for, um, fishing, drinking. Um, for, the, for the bluff trip, um, just grabbing a few lures and a bit of fishing tackle and an extra water yep. bottle. And they've got, they sell wheel clamps in there for $94. I'm like, 94 bucks. Done. Fucking done. Guess what I'm doing next Sunday? Yeah. You clamp two cars and you've, doubled your profits sort of thing. no no I'm going to go and clamp old mate's fucking car aren't I and then hold him ransom for the cash just turn that's up that's good bung a wheel clamp on his car and be like well guess we're all working overtime today aren't you mate and then just fucking drive off wonder what would happen if you called the cops on him so this guy's clamped my car wheels does he yeah. have the legal right to do that is it private property and you say yeah he can now, yeah, dick bag of the fucking... day. Oh man, I was off it. The only yeah, consolation it's... for me that because I've got Vico plates, I don't pay parking fines in WA, so I'm still net well and truly up. Yeah, but so you're gonna have to rack a few up in the next few weeks to make yeah. up for it. Anyway, dick bag of I, the day. I got a, last time I was in Hobart, I was rushing around Saturday morning. I had to get some music equipment in a rush. And I parked outside the music shop, waited for it to open. 
opened at nine, ran in, bought the thing I need, ran out and had a ticket. Oh. And like it's oh. back streets of North Hobart. There's no one around. I was in a hire car. I was pissed off. I just burned out and left it on the window and then the wind took it. Gone. <laughs> oh, dear. And that was ages ago. Haven't heard anything. So, <laughs> fuck you, Hobart City Council. <laughs> you can suck my dick. I'm not paying that one. I remember uh, my first trip to Tassie. I got a, um, I got a parking ticket down in Battery Point. I think it was. Was it Battery Point? Yep. Yeah, near yeah, Salamanca. Just, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and um, and it was twenty bucks, and like that's oh, the most yeah, hilarious no, the, fucking parking Hobart ticket. Of used all time. to be twenty five dollar parking tickets when yeah, <laughs> yeah, what two thousand and eight? Yeah, well, this so. would have been two thousand five, I reckon. And I was like, oh. Sweet, that's just parking in Melbourne. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no worries. Well, that, well, that, that's cheaper even? than city parking. It's hilarious, isn't it? Even now, it's it's like seventy bucks, I think, or eighty bucks. Whereas you know, you get stung in Melbourne, Sydney. It can be, it's a minimum sort of one hundred and eighty, and sometimes oh. it's more. Rude, but, um, rude. absolutely rude. Um, let's let's bring this let's bring the vibe up here because I'm now I'm pissed off about dick bag That's the day good. again. You've got me feeling better and I'm pissed off. <laughs> in yeah, I'm I'm uh, incited. I'm ready to loot the place. Um, what's got you frothing this week, Andy? You got a froth oh. for me, mate? It's um, or am I going to stretch you? No, I've been frothing this week. I think last week I had like a stressful week at work and I wasn't exercising and I was feeling shit and I was having a few drinks every night and everything was just a pain and I was just like grumpy and then on Sunday I was like no that's probably my fault this week I'm gonna do it differently so I set myself a goal to surf seven days in a row starting Sunday afternoon no matter what and that has got me frothing so Sunday and Monday surfed Tammer, half a foot, but took the pig out, which is my self-shaped five-six twin fin, and it was little one-foot wedges. Had a great time. Like had a great time in these tiny waves. Then Wednesday timed it. Tuesday timed it to perfection. Got down there. Only had a half an hour window to surf, and it was big. And I caught three waves in my half an hour. Each one to the beach. Run around to the rip at Bronte. Frothing, absolutely frothing. Then Wednesday it was shit and I ended up body surfing, but I saw the sunrise from the water. And then this morning I just walked down the street and surfed Coogee. Windy, hectic, closeouts, had a great time. And I've been feeling fucking tip-top all week. So change your perception. Fucking exercise, don't drink heaps. (laughs) You feel better. It's amazing how much we are in control of that and you, you... Beat yourself up about stuff. Half of it is like yourself beating beating yourself up about it because you've been a shit cunt. But the other half is like you just feel better if you do that stuff in general. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's like a double down when you don't do it. So, Sunday I was at, I was sitting on the couch in the afternoon just dreading that I had to go to work on Monday. And like that's, that's like fucking child's play when you're worried that you have to go back to school. It's like why am I fucking feeling like this i don't even have to go to work all i've got to do is wake up and crawl to the computer it's not that hard (laughs) so i just like left the house went surfing set myself a goal and 
felt better. So, yeah, it's a bit of froth going on there. I'll get a bit of that. It's like the regret when you get to Sunday night and it's like, I, I feel bad because I haven't. It's like you don't feel bad about work. It's like you feel bad because you've done fuck all. Like you, you didn't do enough. You yeah. had your time to do what you want to do and you didn't do enough things. Yep. It's Pretty not- much every Sunday I feel like that, even if I've done heaps. Could have done more. <laughs> Could have done um, more. Squeeze it in. Get out. I've got a four-day weekend starting tomorrow. We just had a four-day week. I'm in the day three of it, of a four-day week. We, we're the Four-day week? Yeah. We well, had we've Monday got Monday, off. but I've got the boss gave us Friday off as a present because he's a good bloke sometimes. <laughs> oh, right. Four-day weekend. <laughs> so, so I've got four-day weekend, which I'm pretty excited about. And surf's going to be pumping f- next two days. Bang, bang. Tomorrow morning, actually. I think it's going to be, my guess, four to six foot offshore. So I'm going to get there. Um, get amongst. Get amongst. What's got you frothing, Was? <clears throat> We've got some, we had some storms over here, which usually gets me frothing. I love just a bit of gnarly weather, lots of rain, wind. Just, you know, yep. lets everyone know that we're fucking mortal. I like that. But um, I like that a too. W- weird one that get, got me frothing. Um, so I was... Did my little lap around Lake Munger, as I do, the real Lake Munger, because I'm back in Perth these days. Mm-hmm. And um, I know I'm a ju- bit of a judgy bloke in general, but this guy pulls Don't out in front me. of me. Yeah. And um, as we were like, getting onto the lake anyway, he's like wearing this Asian bloke. He had full matching Nike kit, brand new runners, looked like it was their first outing, little headband on. He just looked like a bloke that was out there almost for the Instagram shot. Uh, <laughs> and he just was... And the way you could tell he wasn't a runner. The way he ran, he was like prancing, like jumping out of like every stride was like, oh, he looked like an antelope or something. And I was like, yeah. look at this fucking idiot. Like, and then I was like, oh, you know, at least he's getting around it. He's doing his thing. But I'm like, there's no way he's running even a lap at this place. Three and a half Ks around. Anyway, I get, we, we went different rays around the lake. By the time I got up to him, met up with him again on the other side, he was walking already. Like, and just on his phone, head buried in his phone, you know, doing his thing. And I was like, oh, that fucking guy, I knew it. Like, <laughs> I definitely picked him. And I'm like, what a fucking wanker. And anyway, left it, kept going, did my exercise. I'm back in Leaderville on the way back um, to my place. And I was walking through Leedy. Anyway, I spot this dude again, and he's pulling out a Guzman Gomez, the little Mexican joint. And he's yeah. got um, two meals, like, stacked up in, you know, um, cardboard boxes sort of thing so he's yep. ordered two two Guzman Gomez meals and he um, and he walks out I'm like oh here's this dickhead again he pulls out again right in front of me and then there's a homeless bloke sitting next to Guzman Gomez and he just like bends down chats to this guy and gives him one of the meals like he'd gone and bought ah. two meals one for this homeless bloke and one for him and then he walked off in front of me I was like fuck I was good I really appreciate it I'm really glad I ran into him, but yeah, completely. People aren't just one thing. He's yeah. a he runs like a spastic, <laughs> yeah. but actually, really good human being. You can be both things. Yeah, yeah. that's good. That's an interesting story. It was a good little froth though. It did buzz me yeah. out. And I was like, I had a quick look at myself again, and uh, I was like, yeah, all right, you need to put your head in. Mel a little and bit, I went no, for good. a run Christmas Day up on the Gold Coast. And we ran past all these homeless people, got home, and Mel's like, just talking about these homeless people. It's like, don't worry about it. They like it down there. She's like, I need to take them some food. Nah, don't do that. Like, 
they 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 won't like it. And she, I she she ended up taking them food because <laughs> like some it's just different people, you know. Some people take the homeless people food. Some people don't. Um, oh. Do you remember? The, <laughs> yeah, some of them do. Some of them don't. They're probably better blokes than us. Do you remember? Better um, blokes. In um, we we're in Leaderville having a meal outside Low Key Chow House, and those yep. dudes roll in these young kids and they were up to no good three of them just like walking a bit too quick to be casually walking like they were going somewhere doing something had a bit of it they just had a look about them yeah anyway and they dropped just punks and as they walk past this hundred dollar bill just floats like to the ground right in front of where you and i are sitting and you picked it up and you're like fucking look at that this is a hundred bickies yep (laughs) what'd you do with a hundred dollars well, I paid for our food, which cost 50 and then I gave $50 to a crackhead around the corner who thought all her Christmases had come at once. She was sit- She was only like 10 metres from us halfway through our meal asking everyone for two bucks. Got two yeah, bucks. You got two bucks. I was like, have 50. <laughs> so, oh, thanks, mate. I was like, no worries. All like, good. Oh. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Bolted. Maybe I'm a better bloke. I'm a better bloke than I realised. Take from the punks and give to the crackies, crackies. yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's uh, that good value oh, um, good shit mate let's wind it up what what are we going to listen to music wise uh i've got no tunes lined up shit um fuck i'm fr- i'm frothing um toto africa again oh after our surf on sunday or monday I was pulled up at the servo, just feeling, and this um, chick pulls up in this little Hyundai, like older lady with like Toto Africa just fucking cranked off its head <laughs> into the, the servo. Only way to listen to it. <laughs> like it's the only way to listen to it at absolute full noise, and you just builds. And I and I'm like already we started thinking about how good it is. like I'm in surf fitness, ready for Red Bluff. It's only a couple of weeks away. Like getting just getting pumped for it and then she turns up with that blasting and I was like, yes, chick. <laughs> You're good. all time. Yeah, it was good good value. And, um, I've been that's... refrothing. Someone posted, tagged us in an Insta story with Nullabore by Floodlights. Started listening to that again. Yeah. That's a great song. Um, yeah, you got anything you want to listen to? I I've probably could pick something. I've been listening to music. Yeah, go for it. I've got nothing at hand. All right. I'm going to play if I can find it. I've been getting pretty good at stealing music lately, so should be able to find it. Oh, which one? All right. This is Marcy Playground, America. All right. It's a good one. Cheers, mate. Hooroo. Cheers. Good chat. So, Thanks, noobs. Climbed up on Terrainier and looked out over Washington. Swore she could see the apple trees. And she said, Ooh, oh, I never want to leave. Ooh, this place. Yes, I 
I always want 